The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to Season 3 of Students of Mind, the podcast that's all about opening up and normalizing discussions about mental health in ways that anyone can comprehend. In the first two seasons, we sat down with mental health experts and survivors to give you a full circle picture of each topic. In this new season, we will continue to explore the world of mental health through the insights of experts, healers, and individuals with lived experience. From alternative healing modalities to living with multiple illnesses, this season we will cover a wide range of topics with the help of a diverse selection of guests. My name is Jade, and today I sit down with two friends of mine, Callie and Kitten, to talk about their experiences living with both autism and mental illness, and how these two aspects affect each other. I hope by listening to the show, you're able to learn something new and gain some encouragement through hearing our experts and listening to the journeys of our guests. However, this show is not a substitute for professional advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your mental health professional or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have about your condition. Never disregard professional advice or delay in seeking it because of something you have heard on the Students of Mind podcast. Today's guests are two friends of mine, Callie and Kitten. Callie is a 20-year-old student and writer, and Kitten is a 25-year-old information security analyst. All right, welcome you two. Thank you so much for being here today. You guys look so beautiful. What the heck? Um, well, before we get into the topic of today, can you guys, can we just go around and tell a little bit about yourself and, like, the work you do or, like, where you are in school? Telling people about myself is always such a hard question because I am still figuring out so much about myself. I just kind of tell people I'm unapologetically weird. I have an approximate knowledge of many things and can usually recall the most random information at the random times. I have also learned that my lovely associative memory makes making a lot of puns and bad jokes super easy because I'll hear one thing and simultaneously make 10 different connections and then go the route that gives me the most dopamine. But for work, like I work as an information security analyst with a focus in compliance auditing, specifically HIPAA compliance. Um, 
which is a fun one when you go through mental health treatments, like <laughs> when you're the auditor. But yeah, I with a focusing compliance auditing, I describe my job is herding cats to make sure all of our processes are being followed to the letter, maintaining the security of our clients' data and our compliance posture. I get to be that. Mm-mm. That you missed. You missed a step. Go back. Restart. We have to have that, otherwise the auditor will get mad. <laughs> See, that was great. You were worried, and that was great. <laughs> okay, Callie, you're up. Um. Okay, I am a college student. Um. I go to school at Tulane, um, in New Orleans. Yeah, I I haven't declared my major yet. I was talking to my academic advisor about that today. Right now, we're running with art history and political science double major with a minor in English, but we'll see how much of that I can get through before I graduate. Um, I run a lot. I run distances that most people choose to drive. Um, And I like art and music. I make a lot of playlists. Um, I play rugby sometimes. Yeah, that's what I do. I do a lot of homework is mostly what I do. People are like, what do you do for fun? And I'm like, I, I write essays and when I'm done with them, that's fun. So that's kind of where I'm at. (laughs) Great. That's so fun. I will also go. I'm Jade. (laughs) Everyone on this podcast knows me. Uh, I, what, what do I do? I, I do this podcast and I try to make mental health resources more accessible that's me okay now we're all on even plane we all had to do it (laughs) so the topic of today we're talking about autism and mental health I'm so excited um I know that you guys are kind of in two different places in your journey so I think this will be an interesting discussion um my first question is just when did you each receive your um diagnosis and what like how did you feel after like being told that you were on the spectrum Callie are you okay with going first this time okay okay so like when I received my official diagnosis it was July of this year so July of 2022 um However, that was like when a doctor was like, oh, like you're on the spectrum. Um, Kitten diagnosed me in March. Um, I, I met Kitten in March and she was like, I, I quite uh, genuinely like we were outside and we were listening to a song and she was like, hey, um, personal question. And I was like, what's your name? And she was like, oh, my name's Kitten. She was like, also personal question. Are you on the spectrum? And I was like, not to my knowledge. Um, but the answer is yes, actually. Um, but yeah, I received my official diagnosis, um, in July of this year. So a few months ago, and in a lot of ways, I felt really validated. Like, I feel like it's, I feel like to a lot of people that might not make sense. Well, people who like, aren't like sort of in the mental health world, that is like, why would that, why would you like a diagnosis? But like, it's like, oh, okay. Like, all these things that felt like abnormal my whole life, just kind of like, okay, there's a name for that. And there's like a reason for that. Um, And so it was really validating. And it also sort of like prompted me to be like, in some ways, like, I mean, like, cause I questioned a lot of things. I was like, oh, but like, I've done well, like, like I, I, I feel like I've done well socially, but like, it's just prompted me to like sort of re-examine a lot of things about like where it was me and where it was me reflecting someone else back to them. And so, yeah, overall it was just like, oh, okay, that makes sense. We're on the same page now. Yeah. That sounds like it was very reassuring. Um, Kitten, how about you? What was your experience? Well, so mine was actually only of July of last, June of last year. So I was 25 years old. Took them 25 years to figure this out. <laughs> and in hindsight, how did they miss it? But that's not the current point. 
<laughs> I like after I got the diagnosis, I I just felt a lot of relief because so much stuff that I had that I never understood why I was like that finally made sense. Like I I got the answers that I didn't have that were I was just I'm something's wrong with me. I don't know what. It's just broken, I guess. Um, and then after that, it was it made me able to start looking back over my entire life in a new lens and not take all the blame so harshly against myself since I finally knew the why behind it and the fact that a lot of it is nothing I can control. It's just how my brain is wired. Um, and yeah, it was just, it answered a whole lot of why am I like this? And yeah, it gave me all the information that I've been missing for 25 years. Yeah, that's really cool. Were, were you, uh, so Kitten, you can answer first for this one. Um, but when you were given the diagnosis, were you guys also given like resources and support for going forward or was that not really the case? For me, that really wasn't the case. It was more of a, well, here's everything I have found and researched on my own. Here's why I think this way. And then I brought it all to my psychiatrist and they're like, it was funny because halfway through the session, they're, they're like, at the beginning, I didn't see it, but definitely now, solid. Uh, because apparently people don't come that prepared with lists and documents. Uh, but I kind of came in with a lot of things just because I'm like, this resonates with me, but it's heavily tied to autism. Um but there was no like specific accommodations mentioned. I've figured that out all on my own. <laughs> How about you, Callie? Yeah, so the way I went about getting my diagnosis was Kitten actually helped a lot. Um, we She literally just Googled, like, this is my insurance, and then, like, what places evaluate. So, like, I sort of – she literally told me, she was like, when you go in – for the evaluation, just like be yourself, like be yourself and they're going to figure it out. And I was like, okay. Um, but the place I went to evaluates people up to 21. So I got diagnosed. I think my evaluation like was a week before I turned 20. Um, and then I got the diagnosis like the week after I turned 20. Um, and the thing about that place, it's largely it's largely focused on um, children on you know on the autism spectrum, um, but a lot of the focus of so part part of the program is like okay yeah we evaluate kids up to people up to twenty one but then the other key focus of the program is like like the resources that they provide um, the resources that they provide were kind of they're considered problematic, um, in the autistic community. So, um, mostly what they called like the cornerstone of, uh, autism, like therapy is, um, ABA, which is applied behavioral analysis, right? Kitten, is that the right acronym? Okay, perfect. Um, and so that's what they call, like, that's how we like treat autism. Um, from, I've never done ABA. I'm never going to do ABA because from what I understand from, I've had friends who have volunteered as ABA therapists. I know like from kitten, ABA is beating the autism out of you essentially. Like that's the sort of blunt way to put it is it's like, it doesn't teach you how to like cope with sensory overload. It doesn't teach you how to like make like make connections with the way your brain is wired. It teaches you how to make yourself palatable for a neurotypical society that we live in. Um, so that was the main resource that was offered to me um, was mostly like, it wasn't like 
how can we help you like live your life in a way that like feels okay it was like how can we help you become someone who is palatable to everyone else and so I I don't I don't really have a lot of resources um I have like certain accommodations in school and involving like the way I take notes and stuff like I'm allowed to record lectures for like auditory processing purposes um but other than that like I I kind of just like white knuckle my way through life because that's what I've been doing for 20 years and like I don't quite know how to stop doing that um yeah yeah Wait, Kitten, do you have something to add? Oh, I mean, just adding on to, like, the ABA and white-knuckling through life. ABA just reinforces you need to be wearing a mask at all times because you're not socially acceptable, so we're going to make you be. Um, But at the same time... Oh, great, I just lost the last 15 seconds of what Kelly said. (laughs) That's what I had another response to. It was white knuckling my way through life because that's what I learned how to do for 20 years. Does that help? Yes, because that is one of the biggest reasons why autism in females is missed so frequently because we just adapt and do whatever we can to fit in. And then, okay, no, that's just a shy, quirky girl. Or she's just not very social. And so it doesn't get looked at. Or like sensory things. Oh, they're just a little sensitive. Oh, everyone's a picky eater. No. (laughs) No, they're not. Um, But, yeah. Yeah, I... I worked for a company where they used ABA and I ended up quitting (laughs) because it was I I felt so terrible for the kids and like the work that I was doing with my kid was not what they wanted me to do with him they they wanted me to follow the ABA uh, guidelines which felt very much like I was telling someone to not be who they were um so yeah it's it pains me it's so frustrating that that is still what they're handing out to people as resources and not guiding more guidance around like accommodations you can ask for and things like that um so yeah I'm sorry that that that's how it is right now I want to move on to like mental health stuff um, because I eventually we're going to get to talking about how autism and mental health connect and everything. But before that, can we talk about like a little bit of a peek into like your mental health journey so far? Like, (laughs) that's a big question. Let's let's get more specific. Uh, let's talk about, uh, like, what are your diagnoses, um, and when you received those and how the process of receiving your mental health diagnoses was for you. And we'll start with Callie this time. So right now, my diagnoses are social and generalized anxiety, major depressive disorder, anorexia nervosa, um, and then obviously autism spectrum disorder. And then I... I can't remember if I was diagnosed with PTSD, if I haven't, like, it's been talked about, it's, like, probably, um, but I don't know if it's, like, written, Kitten agrees, Kitten knows me, um, I don't know if it's, like, written down somewhere, but, like, that's what all my providers have talked about, um, generalized and social anxiety and depression, I got when I was 15, and then, my eating disorder diagnosis I got when I was 18. Um, And that was because like I had been struggling for years and years and years. Um, And then I kind of hit a point where I was like, I really can't do this anymore. And so like the eating disorder, like onset was like long ago, but the diagnosis was a lot later. Um, And then same with autism and PTSD. were sort of as a result of my like most recent round of treatment for my eating disorder um 
where like we sort of dove into like more things about me and like like where does this come from and um I think a reason because I I didn't like start struggling when I was 15 so I, I started struggling when I was eight or younger um and so the reason all of those came a lot later uh was because like the sort of autistic meltdown, sensory, sens- like all of that was misdiagnosed as bipolar starting when I was like nine, I think. Um, and so from the time I was nine till the time I was 15, um, we were just operating under the assumption that I was bipolar. I was getting put on a cocktail of mood stabilizers. Um, and so when I was 15, we finally like got a second opinion. My, my parents took me to um, a different like doctor and got a second opinion and so that bipolar got thrown out. Um, but yeah, I have been on a whole mental health journey starting when I was very young, but the names didn't come till later. Kitten, you're up. Oh, well, so I've had a very long mental health journey. I've been in therapy since I was five years old. And I'm 26, so that's 20 years of therapy experience. My very first diagnosis that was actually accurate was in first grade when I was diagnosed with ADHD. And I actually found out during that assessment, autism was mentioned, but the fact that I was too socially capable of making friends and was not necessarily intellectually super impaired, they brushed it off. They're like, no, that's not it. So it wasn't until about middle school any of my diagnoses was updated from that but in the middle school I got diagnosed with bipolar one while I was in a psych ward it was a party grippy sock vacations granted me and my psychiatrist are on the fence of whether I don't actually have bipolar and that is all just attributed to the autism because bipolar borderline personality disorder Obsessive-compulsive disorders are all the prime misdiagnoses for autism. And then I also, that's where I got my severe panic and anxiety disorders. In early high school is when I was got my official diagnosis for PTSD. And then four years ago, the first time I went into eating disorder treatment, before I knew I was autistic, I was misdiagnosed as anorexia, with anorexia. Um, which last year when I got evaluated and confirmed to be on the spectrum, they're like, that's not accurate. You have ARFID, which is not a very common one. Like ARFID being the avoidant restrictive food intake disorder. And it can be a cluster to try to sift through. Um, because yeah, well, that's the next question. I'll get into that my next question. But yeah, that's my diagnosis trip so far. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and... 6-1, since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Okay, so we've talked about both. I, I also want to, if if you guys are comfortable, talk about... ARFID, um, and, you know, how your eating disorders have shown up, um, but first, let's kind of talk about, in general, like, in what ways have you seen your mental health and your autism interacting with each other or affecting each other? Kitten, I think it's your turn to go first. So, 
my the rest of my diagnoses and my autism, I'm consistently learning that they are best friends. They hold hands. They they are never separated really. Um, I have learned a lot of my experiences were actually rooted in my autism, which meant I had to try to start unlearning all of the coping skills around those things that do not help people with autism. Um, like cognitive behavioral therapy is not great for anybody on the spectrum because it teaches to mask. And I had done so much of it I, I can, I would like to believe my mask is good enough that no one would know I was autistic, but that's the stereotypical TikTok. Nobody would even know. Um, but it, it doesn't let you actually connect to who you are. Um, and being ADHD and autistic makes me a bit of a walking contradiction to who I am with near polar opposites to each other because on one hand I need stimulation and structure and strict routine but I can't create my own structure and routine and keep it because of the ADHD side of things and then where it, it's been interesting because I will identify like okay which one's actually presenting stronger today because it varies on which one's going to be the priority like am I going to be super I want to try all these new things and adventurous and we got to go on these spontaneous things while my autism brain's screaming what the hell are we doing no <laughs> can't do that. that that involves all of the stuff no um and any level of distress being experienced heavily impacted, like, my ARFID and my eating disorder habits. Because um, if I get too distressed out, I will quickly dive back into it as an immediate safe response. And the combination of having ARFID and autism is actually extraordinarily common, particularly just because it focuses on the three points of Either you have a sensory processing issue with food, or there is the food contamination fears, and then just the no interest in food. And it's trying to figure out which one is what, and like the sensory issues are never the same. It depends on how much stress am I experiencing elsewhere. And like that's where it's the fine balancing, um, because something that can be safe one day is can be completely awful the next day but it could be being caused by a not necessarily connected sensory experience but because they're both happening at the same time or i'm already under a lot of stress it just amplifies it uh like i will get to a point where it's like i end up in a sort of autistic shutdown state or like the most most recent relapse I had, that's what I was experiencing, and am still experiencing burnout from white knuckling through everything and heavily masking for way too long. Um, and that just kind of makes it feel impossible to do any sort of food. Even if it's something I know I love and has been my go-to for years, It'll all of a sudden, sorry, you can't eat it. You can't eat that. It's poison. Okay. How about you, Callie? Um, I can re-say the question if you want. Well, I think I remember. Okay. It's just all my mental health interacts with autism. Yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, I think the place I definitely see it the most is with my eating disorder. Um I had much more like ARFID like tendencies when I was younger. Um, so like I was really sensitive to uh, like food textures mostly. Like I would be really, I wouldn't like want to try anything cause I was so afraid of the way it would like feel in my mouth. Um, it had like nothing to do with the taste. Um, but the way I grew out of that was developing a different eating disorder that made me <laughs> very 
Um, yeah, it was just eating disorder swapping. Um, so especially the way I see it with like anorexia is like, it, it becomes very, very obsessive. Um, and so it's like, it's, it all comes down to like numbers. So it's like weight and calories and clothing sizes and all that kind of stuff. Um, and it's like super duper number focused. Um, and it, it just becomes like, it it becomes like a special interest, like in and of itself is just like how I can get really good at starving myself. Um, which is not, don't, don't recommend. Um, but then also in like a weird way, like, so one kind of common thing with autism is like, sort of your like internal cues can either be like heightened or like much, like much, much like lower and like harder to notice. Um, and so for me, a lot of times, like it's harder to notice when I'm hungry or I'm thirsty. Um, and then like you layer on another piece of like being like having depression. And so like when depression gets worse, then like not only will I not know when I'm hungry or thirsty, but like it'll also feel like, oh, I'm never hungry. Or like when my anxiety is really bad and like I have a lot of assignments, then I'm like, okay, well, I'm so anxious that I'm nauseous and then I don't want to eat. Um, and so like they all sort of tie in together and like, okay, well, I don't want to eat because I hate my body and I'm very number focused, but then I also don't want to eat because I'm sad. And so I don't feel hungry. And I also don't want to eat because I'm anxious and I feel nauseous. Um, and then all of that contributes to me feeling sad and anxious because all of your serotonin production or most of it is in your gut. And so if you're not eating, then you're not happy. And it's like, it's just kind of this vicious cycle that rolls. Um, and then sort of the PTSD is like, a, it's also sort of related to the autism in the sense that like some of where it came from is like, you know, like I would have meltdowns at home and, you know, my parents, my parents didn't have an awesome, had a less than spectacular response to, you know, an autistic meltdown and just sort of the trauma from that. And I've, I've, I've done a lot of work to like trace it. I was like, okay, so I had meltdowns. I I essentially learned that like, okay, being loud isn't the answer. Um, and like vo- vocalizing how much pain I'm in, that's not the answer. And so the way to quiet down is to not eat. It makes you numb. It makes you quieter. And so then I become a lot quieter. But then the the sort of like, you know, the safety and the silence that I thought I had turned into like a very different type of danger where like, I, I didn't know how to say no to anyone. And so I still see myself in college In college. It's in college. You need to learn how to say no. Um, because you just end up in all these situations where it's not safe. It's really not safe to not speak up. Um, and you end up getting hurt because, you know, like I said, like I thought like, okay, silence is safety and it's not, um, And so all this, all this sort of trauma came from like, okay, being loud and then being quiet and then people pleasing. And that's a very long winded way of saying it's all this very tangled web that is impossible to separate. Yeah, I, that's what I was going to say is that it, it all sounds very complex and like there's a lot of layers and I feel like when you when there's when you have like anxiety and depression it's like I can take this med to make it better and then I can like work on these coping skills to make it better um but like with autism I'm wondering like what what is because people with mental illness we live in a world that disables us and I feel like that's the case for people on the spectrum, too. Like, we're just in a world where people who are neurodiverse, it's it's not, like, uh, made. It's, it's made for um, neurotypical people. Um, so, like, how are you guys... What is my question? Like, how, how are you guys navigating the complexities of it? Because to me, it sounds overwhelming. 
like to me it sounds very overwhelming and like I would want to figure out one thing I could do to fix something but there's so many layers (laughs) so yeah like if you guys have any responses to that we can start with kitten well so yeah navigating that is a challenge especially being late diagnosed and having to figure out what that is um like how a meltdown would be best to be handled versus how it is normally handled. They're just treating it as, oh, no, they're just trying to throw a fit or make a scene when it's really, it's like, I am currently overloaded and this is my only way of it coming out and I can't control it anymore. Um, And like a lot of people don't understand that it's like you can't talk somebody down from a meltdown. You need it just has to write its course. It's finding a sensory friendly or having a sensory toolbox is what I call it um, for those moments. And it's like planning ahead. Like I got this fancy DBT book that Callie also has that is specifically about like autism and DVT skills. So it's like how to map your meltdowns, do's and don'ts, and like identifying triggers for it. And then being able to tell people ahead of time, being like, hey, these are the do's and don'ts. Like if I'm melting down, just take me to a quiet, cool room that's empty. Or if I'm shutting down, don't try to force me to talk. It's not that I don't want to talk to you. It's that I can't speak right now. I don't, even if I wanted to, I couldn't get the words out. And so it's trying to help other people understand my experience because that not everything I can do on my end. Otherwise, yeah, I'd be completely completely overwhelmed and burnt out, which is how I got to where I am, was completely concealing as much of it as possible because I have to be the one that's composed, taking care of things. And if you do that for too long, you're going to come to a stop. Whether you want to or not, your body will take you down. Uh, But, oh, see, here's the ADHD side of it. That Roomba thought has hit a wall. No, that was, like, the super, super clear and concise, like, that made a lot of sense. Um, Callie, you, I didn't really make sense in the question that I asked, so if you don't have a response, that's fine, too. I, I feel like I am especially struggling with this at school, um, because not only is the world not built for me, like, academic institutions are not built for me, um... And I mean, specifically Tulane, um, it's, it's just a different culture. Um, it's, I mean, I, I think there's, I mean, there's a whole lot of privilege at the school. Um, and that's a whole nother conversation to have. Um, but where I struggle, I mean, I don't really have an answer to like how I like navigate because I, I'm very much like still trying to figure it out. Um, because like, I, like, you know, I'm, I'm a freshman. I don't, I don't have like a a go-to person on campus where I can be like, Hey, like if I start to get overwhelmed, like, can you help me? Um, it's a lot of like, okay, where is like a safe place where I can like, like I sort of have to like bottle everything all day and then like come back to my dorm and then like figure out how to release it. And like, even like I have a roommate and my roommate is the sweetest girl alive. And she, she gets the autism. She's a, she's, you know, ADHD. She gets the trauma. She gets all of it. But even like this sort of the ingrained belief that like, I can't let anyone see it. And so I'm like, okay, if my roommate's home, like just keep bottling it, keep like, keep the shutdown. And then like, once I'm alone, it's like, then like the tears start coming and then it's like, and then it's overwhelming. And it's sort of also tied into like, the, the people pleasing. Um, it's like, I don't, it's partially an anxiety thing. It's partially just like, I learned that like the only way to keep people 
was like, if you make them really, really happy, like they, they'll want to stick around, even if you're a little strange or like a little oddity. And that's something that I was actually just talking to one of my professors about today because I said I was, he's a, he's a trumpet player and I, I, I hang out as gigs cause they're fun. Um, and I love live music and we were on our way back to campus and I forget what the context of this was, but I basically said like, I will let anyone do anything to me. And he was like, don't say that. And I was like, okay. And, but then we talked about it today and he was like, you know, and he was like, I know you keep getting hurt because like, you just, you know, and I was like, I just, I never learned how to say no. And so like a, a big part of like what I need to do to like be able to navigate a world and an institution and, you know, just a life that it, it wasn't built for people like me um, is to be able to like, not even just boundaries, like not even just saying no, but saying like, this is what I need. Um, and being able to ask for what I need. That's a big part of like, figuring out how to exist in this kind of society, I think. Yeah, and I think that there's probably a lot more people out there experiencing this than we're aware of. And, and I think that having this conversation is going to be so helpful for those people because yeah like I feel like it like we don't talk about this enough and just having more conversations about it is going to help things get a little better um I wanted to add in a, a question here um just to put a little positive spin on things but I wanted to ask if if like s something uh like a positive that came with receiving your uh, autism diagnosis or just with realizing that you are autistic? Like, what did you, like, is there a positive that you can identify that comes out of that? So, yeah, no, getting the diagnosis itself was a huge positive just because it was able to answer so many questions that I was just completely ripping into myself about. Like, why do I enter these states that I can't calm myself down, but I know what I'm doing is not the thing I'm supposed to be doing, but I don't know how to handle it. But now I do. And it's also kind of given me a lot more insight on like the type of employment that is good for me. Because before I got my diagnosis, I couldn't hold a job for more than nine months before I would burn out. And then the last time I burnt out, I ended up on disability for two years before I was able to start working again after I went through eating disorder treatment the first time with anorexia. That went real well. It didn't, it didn't go well. <laughs> but being able to identify that, okay, so I've been at my current company for over, almost three years and that's the longest I've been with a company and I'm fairly confident it's because I get to work from home and now that I have that diagnosis if we ever went to back to our offices I can ask for that as an accommodation to stay home because it makes it a much less distressing environment a lot less draining I'm able to be like, hey, no, look, this is working for me. But particularly in my role, because now I know why I'm extremely good at my job, and it's the tism. <laughs> the pattern recognition and the happening to have everything exactly correct has made me very good. People don't like me, but that's okay. Our compliance auditors love me. <laughs> I feel like there was another one. Oh, now I just get to be like, when somebody's like, you're kind of weird, I'm like, well, it's because I'm autistic. Get over it. Yeah, I feel like I have some, like, similar positives. Um, I think especially getting the diagnosis, like, let me look back at a lot of things that I was holding about my life. Like, like I mean, into adulthood, I was, like, convinced. I was like, oh, I was a really bad kid. Like, I was bad. I was a bad person. I misbehaved. Like, I should have been better. I should have, like... I should have had self-control. I should have been X, Y, Z. Like, I was bad. 
Um, and I held a lot of blame on myself um, for just the way I was as a kid and as a teenager. Um, and like getting the diagnosis, like it's, it's not, it hasn't like fixed it. And it's not all of a sudden like, Oh, like I was a perfectly, I was a perfect kid and everything's fine. Like I feel like uh, whatever, but, um, it's, it's allowed me to give myself a little bit more grace, um, looking back at like little me, um, and like being like, yeah, like, of course I reacted like that. Cause I was, I just, I didn't, I didn't know how else to show what I was feeling or say what I was feeling. Um, and so that's, that's one of the biggest positives. Um, I mean, I feel like also, I feel like there's just, there's sort of the community aspect. Like if you can find it, like, and I think especially like neurodivergent and queer communities like intersect a lot. Um, and gosh, I love queer communities. Um, so yeah, that's been a really nice thing is like, I, that's actually one thing I forgot to mention at the beginning. I, um, I'm part of uh, Tulane's Queer Student Alliance. I'm on the executive board. Um, so I help like organize events and stuff. Um, and like having, so sort of like having like my, all of my quirky little autistic traits and then being queer and then being in that community where like it it's really about authenticity and like that's sort of allowed me, it's been a really good place for me to like, learn how to just be with myself and like be myself around people um so I really appreciated that great I love that I yeah just wanted to like because I've I've heard it's specifically like the community aspect I've heard people uh once they get their diagnosis and start being open about it the community that opens up is just unexplainable how helpful so I just wanted to add that in there. Um, last two questions. What do you wish more people knew about your experience? We can start with Callie if you're ready. Um, specifically to my like autistic experience, I wish more people understood just how differently it can present itself. Because it, that's why it's called autism spectrum disorder, because it truly is a spectrum. Um, and it's part of the reason why, especially girls or like AFAB people in general, it's, it's a lot harder for them to get diagnosed. You know, I, I, when my mom found out about my diagnosis, she was dumbfounded because she was like, well, she speaks and she goes to a selective university and she gets good grades and she's on the cross country team and she does art, you know, like, you know, my daughter does all these things, you know, and you're telling me that she's autistic. And, and it's like, first of all, like being autistic is not a bad thing. Um, and second of all, like my autistic experience is like tied into every single one of these things. And so that's something that I really wish people understood is like I'm because I'm not super open with like everyone about it. Um, just because like I've gotten reactions before that were like, I don't see it. Um, and I'm like, <laughs> cool. <laughs> Thanks. Um so that's that's sort of what I wish is that like people understood that like nonverbal five year old boys are not the autistic experience. They're like a singular aspect of one person's autistic experience. And then just in general, I guess I kind of wish that like that we I think we're moving in a good place as a society. I mean, I think we've seen like new stories about like sensory friendly rooms and like airports um, and stuff like that, but just sort of like starting to move to a place where it's like building a society that like, and I mean, this is going to like, this isn't just for neurodivergent people or mental illness. This is like building a society where like women and people of color and, you know, poor people and like everyone is like sort of the equity kind of thing. And like there's intersections with every minority community you can imagine because, like so truly and genuinely like this world is built for the success of like 
cisgender, heterosexual, white, wealthy men. Um, and that's not the whole world. And it would really suck if that was the whole world because, yeah. So that's my other, like, wish is that, like, we can get to a place where, like, everyone can can be themselves in their own way. Yes, I love that. How about you, Kitten? I first start with that. We need to remember, not everyone can be neurotypical, Emily. <laughs> but, like, what I wish people would know about my experience is that there is still much I don't know um, about myself that I'm constantly learning and identifying new things that are like, oh, that's the autism. Okay. Now I need to approach that differently. And that can look different day to day. And that's probably the biggest thing. The biggest misconception I've seen is my support needs can vary depending on the day or the hour. Like, to what level I am able to function, if I am going to be prone to a meltdown, or if I'm just going to melt down. There are just so many environmental factors that can play into it. And then there could be, I could go to this situation and be completely fine. And it's like a crowded event and there's a lot of people. And that time I'm okay. But I go to it again, but I have a little bit of stress somewhere else, or I'm wearing a shirt that has a tag that's rubbing me wrong. I'm going to be in sensory overload the whole time and probably end up melting down. Or, like, in the instances of if it gets to the point where I'm so overwhelmed that I'm shutting down, being nonverbal is not a blanket. They just have never and will never speak. Um, there's definitely, I go into nonverbal shutdowns. Um, that happened to me several times in treatment. And at those times, it's like, it's not that I don't want to talk to you. It's not that I don't want to communicate this information to you. I can't. I cannot get the words to tell you. And then it's like, I just need you to ask me yes or no questions so that way I can give a nonverbal response. Because then just kind of meet me where I am versus like I have experienced both in a meltdown and a shutdown of people going over the top of trying to get me to talk about what's going on. Oh, let, let's go into more into it. What are you feeling? How's this feeling? And then it's like, they don't understand that every single question, every single thing they say to me is sending me further up. And it's like, in those states, the best thing you can do is to find a quiet room that's dark, that you can probably find a comfy place to lay on the floor because those of us who know we like to sit on the floor and just be left alone and we will come down on our own it just our sensory load became too much and melting down it's not going to help if you try to force somebody to talk while they're shut down it's just going to lock them down and then you're not going to get anything and then it's just kind of a well we're screwed now but the fact that being nonverbal is not only tied to the little five-year-old boys. I've definitely had a lot of times that I was nonverbal. And I strongly believe that I was nonverbal most of my life, but I was trained to talk because I wouldn't talk enough or I couldn't talk right because of auditory processing things that I was, I've done years of speech therapy. So literally being trained to talk when I would rather not. But yeah, that's kind of one of the biggest things that I feel like people need to know because it's, there are so many different things that can go into, okay, why are you having such a problem with this today? What other factors are playing into this because you didn't have an issue with this yesterday. And it could be I didn't sleep enough. Or it's too hot, it's too cold, I have a headache. 
any sort of thing that kind of just would affect my physical or mental stress load can amplify everything. I am learning so much. <laughs> I truly am. This is such a good conversation. Um, my last question, well, last and a half, is... So I ask this question for all of my guests because this season I want to put an emphasis on self-care because uh, as you guys know, I had to take some time for self-care at the beginning of the year. So my question for you guys is what is one thing you do every day to maintain mental wellness? Callie, you're up. Yeah, one big thing for me is music. I make a lot of playlists. I like I have my headphones in my backpack I have like a speaker in my shower um and like yeah I just like that that's like it can like I mean if I feel like it's less of like setting the tone for the day but it's more just like it's like what I need to hear it's like how I can fill my space um yeah it's music great I love that one okay kitten you're up okay I I came up with some things it's cool (laughs) So unlike a daily, I would agree on the music. Like, I haven't had my noise-canceling earbuds for almost a week now, and I am losing my mind because they are a pinnacle of my mental health. But, um, and it's also listening to myself when, if I am tired, it might just be because I've been around people for too long. And I just need some quiet alone time. And what I would say is I've created myself a sensory safe place. Like, I have my blackout curtains, a dimmable light, fairy lights if that one's too much. And then, of course, an obscene amount of stuffed animals to create a nest into. Because then I nest into the stuffed animals with my weighted blanket. And that is probably one of the most comfortable places to be. Because the pressure of the blanket, I can't say enough that deep pressure therapy is amazing. That's why somebody needs to come home sooner because I could use a hug. But that's why a lot of actually autistic people really like tight hugs. Because it's stimulating, I believe it's not not the vestibular. Oh, which one is that? One of your senses. There's like six. Um, But it helps give that comfort to it. But like overall, in general, how I'm taking care of my mental health is just consistently learning. And as I learn about my needs, advocating for them and giving myself that grace for the things that I can't control just because I am wired differently and doing my best to not let people shoot down my needs, which I'm still learning how to express needs because all growing up, I was taught I wasn't allowed to have them. You can't be this loud child. And yeah, a whole lot of like what Callie was saying about growing up, I should have been calmer, I shouldn't have freaked out like that, X, Y, and Z. If it happens moving forward, now I know and don't have to tear myself down every time. Beautiful. Well, thank you guys both so much for doing this. I'm so happy we could do it. I learned so much, so I think the people listening are going to learn a lot too. Um, But yeah, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having us, Jade. Yeah! Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Students of Mind. I want to give a massive thank you to Callie and Kitten for coming on the show and being so open and willing to share about their experiences. I was so excited to have them on and have this conversation, so I hope you all enjoyed it. And if you're interested in following Callie or Kitten on their socials, their links will be listed in the description of this episode. As always, social links for the Students of Mind team are listed in the description as well. Don't forget to check out the episode webpage, also listed in the description, for the full show notes and any episode resources. 
If you have a moment, please leave a rating and review for the show. This helps me tremendously by getting the show into more ears and lets new listeners know what they can expect from the show. Thank you so much again for listening. I hope you learned something new or resonated with something you heard today, and I will see you next episode. What is it you really want in life? No matter what you've been through, you can still achieve it. I'm Sandra Ann Taylor, and in my Energy Activation podcast, we'll explore the science of manifestation, and I'll give you specific techniques to shift your energy in order to make your dreams a reality. I also do live energy readings, and you can be a part of the show by emailing your questions to me at sandrataylor.net. Join me on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network or wherever you get your podcasts.